Have you ever come home from a long day just to find out that that meat you needed for your recipe has totally slipped your mind the last time you went to the grocery store? Well, with the help of ButcherBox, you might never have to deal with that problem ever again. With ButcherBox, you get the convenience of having high-quality meat and seafood delivered straight to your door. Not to mention the peace of mind you get to feel knowing that it's 100% grass-fed, free-range, and crate-free. All humanely raised with no antibiotics or added hormones. Let ButcherBox help make your life even easier. No grocery store required. In addition to free shipping on every order, you get to curate your box plans, have access to member-exclusive deals, get recipe ideas and inspiration, as well as helpful tips. You really can't go wrong with ButcherBox. Sign up for ButcherBox today by going to butcherbox.com morningcup and use the code morningcup at checkout and enjoy your choice of bone-in chicken thighs, top sirloins, or salmon in every box for an entire year. Plus, get $20 off. Again, that's butcherbox.com slash morningcup and use the code morningcup. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. A scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Morning. Cup of murder. There is something very scary about a killer who travels. You never know when or where they will strike next. On December 26, 1950, a man was born who would go on to kill all along the I-5. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Randall Brent Woodfield, or Randy as he was called, was born on December 26, 1950 to a prominent family living in Newport, Oregon. The Woodfield name was one that garnered respect, but Randy, the third child born to the Woodfields, started exhibiting odd behaviors pretty early into his teenage years. Though he was considered a popular football star of his Newport school, he was arrested for indecent exposure before even reaching graduation. He enjoyed exposing himself throughout junior and senior high, and while in high school, exposed himself to a group of teenage girls on the Yaquina Bay Bridge, earning him his first arrest. He was released pretty quickly, put into therapy by parents, and, not wanting to lose their star player, concealed his crime with the help of his football coaches. When he graduated, his record was expunged, and he was able to attend Treasure Valley Community College in Ontario, Oregon, before transferring to Portland State and joining their team as a wide receiver. While in college, he joined the Campus Crusades for Christ, though that didn't seem to stop him from committing petty crimes throughout his years in college one of which involved him vandalizing the apartment of his ex-girlfriend. Just before graduation, Randy decided to drop out of school and was picked up by the 1974 NFL Draft by the Green Bay Packers. A dream for most who decided to make their sports into a career. He worked hard to earn his spot on the team, but after signing a contract that February, was cut during training and failed to make the team's final roster after a series of arrests for indecent exposure. 
Still wanting to make football his career, he played a season for the Manitowoc Chiefs, a semi-pro team, while working for Oshkosh Truck. But once the NFL formally cut ties with him, he left Wisconsin for Portland, disgraced by his failure. Around the same time he arrived in Portland, a number of women were accosted by a knife-wielding man who forced them to perform oral sex before robbing them. On May 3rd, 1975, Randy Woodfield was arrested after he was caught with marked money he stole from an undercover officer. He confessed to the crimes, blamed his years of steroid use and poor impulse control, and was sentenced to 10 years in prison. He served only four. On October 9th, 1980, Sherry Ayers, an x-ray technician and former schoolmate of Randy's, was raped and murdered in her downtown Portland apartment. Her body was discovered a few days later by her fiancé, and medical examiners determined that she was bludgeoned before being stabbed repeatedly in the neck, causing her death. Sherry and Randy, who had known each other since second grade, had corresponded while Randy was in prison, and though he was considered a suspect in her murder, refused to sit for a polygraph and was generally very evasive about her death. His blood type did not match the semen found on her body, and no charges were filed. A month later, on Thanksgiving Day, Randy entered the home of Darcy Renee Fix with plans to assault the 22-year-old. They had known each other in college, and Darcy was the ex-girlfriend of one of his friends. So I'm sure she saw this visit as a simple reunion with an old acquaintance. When he arrived, he bound both Darcy and 24-year-old Douglas Keith Altig and shot them both execution-style with Darcy's own 32 caliber revolver. Once again, Randy was questioned, and once again, police were left with nothing to warrant an arrest. After this Thanksgiving murder, Randy committed a series of robberies throughout the Northwest. He robbed a gas station in Vancouver, Washington on December 9th, an ice cream parlor in Eugene, Oregon on December 13th, a drive-in restaurant in Albany on the 14th, and on the 21st, accosted a Seattle waitress and demanded a handjob at gunpoint. By January of 1981, Randy Woodfield became known as the I-5 Bandit, given his preference for finding locations just off of the I-5. On January 8th, he held up that same Vancouver gas station and forced a female attendant to expose her breasts while he took all the money from the register. Three days later, it was a market in Eugene, and the next day he shot and wounded a female clerk in Southern Oregon Grocery Store. He continued to travel on to Salem, where on January 14th, he broke into a home and forced two children, 8 and 10, to undress and sexually assaulted them. He did the same to Sherry Hull and Beth Wilmot, killing Sherry and leaving Beth for dead. On January 26th and 29th, he committed robberies in Eugene, Medford, and Grants Pass, assaulting two females, a clerk and a customer, in the process. On January 3rd, 1981, the bodies of Donna Eckhart and her 14-year-old daughter found in their Mountain Gate, California home. Both had been shot several times in the head, and the teen showed signs of being sodomized. The same day that the bodies were found, a female clerk in Redding was kidnapped, raped, sodomized, and the next day, Randy committed an identical crime in Ashland, Oregon. Somehow, even though he left a number of witnesses and victims behind, and that the crimes were so similar they were easily connected, Randy Woodfield wasn't caught. The I-5 bandit struck again in a Corvallis fabric store, molested the clerk, and moved on to Vancouver, Olympia, and Bellevue, Washington. 
Planning on visiting Portland, Randy organized a Valentine's party at the Marriott Hotel with a bunch of friends from college. When no one showed up, he drove to Beaverton, where he broke into the home of 18-year-old Julie Wrights, whom he had met while working as a bouncer at a bar, raped, and shot her in the head. When police arrived, two glasses of wine were out on the table and a package of coffee was left on the counter, meaning the killer and Julie spent time together before she was killed, that she must have known her attacker. Eventually, like women before, investigators were led back to Randy Woodfield, but as they worked, so did Randy. Three more attacks attributed to the I-5 bandit occurred in Eugene and Corvallis. Thankfully, in March of 1981, before anyone else could be hurt, Randy was finally arrested and brought in for questioning where Elisa Garcia, a woman he attacked and left alive, identified him in a photo lineup. He was identified by a number of other victims and officially charged with rape, sodomy, attempted kidnapping, armed robbery, and illegal possession of a firearm in both Washington and Oregon. He was tried in Salem for the murder of Sherry Hull and attempted murder of Beth Wilmot, where Beth bravely testified against her attacker. On June 26, 1981, after three and a half hours of deliberation, he was sentenced to life in prison plus 90 years. Though he was convicted of just one murder, police linked him to 18 murders and suspected him of killing 44 people, majority of which were young, petite white women with middle-class backgrounds. Then, in October of 1981, he was tried a second time in Benton County for a whole different set of charges and given an additional 35 years added to his sentence. Despite the charges, Randy has never confessed to any of the murders he has been connected to. In 1987, Randy Woodfield attempted to file a $12 million lawsuit against Anne Rule after she wrote a best-selling book about his life called The I-5 Killer. The case was ultimately dismissed. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on December 27th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.